Good morning. How's, how's everyone doing today? <clears throat> All right, uh, if you are new and don't know, Pastor Brian is on sabbatical, and uh, he's only got a couple weeks left, which is crazy. Um, I am personally really looking forward to hear how that has been for him, as I know many of you guys are. Um, if you don't know who I am, my name is Sam Mai Young. I work for Young Life full-time uh, here in the area and have been a part of the leadership team here at Haven for quite some time now and um, always love getting the opportunity to preach. And so um, last week, uh, Mike Slagle kicked off a little mini-series in the book of Judges, everyone's favorite book of the Bible, right? It's the easiest book to read. Um, <clears throat> No, it's intense, actually, if you have read it. Um, there's actually some very hard things to read in this book. Um, but Mike kicked us off on a series that we're calling Messy Redemption. Um, <clears throat> growing up, maybe you're like me, I kind of always assumed when it came to the Bible that all of the people who are mentioned in it um, somehow were just automatically good people worth replicating um, but when you actually start reading it and you take some time to read the stories that are in the Bible, you'll find that that's not really the case. And lots of people within the Bible are conflicted. Um, they are flawed deeply um, and honestly broken, okay? You will find that for sure in the book of Judges, but you'll find that across the whole Bible, um, you know, and to provide a little bit of context, because, you know, it's not too often that we spend time in the Old Testament, um, and that's the thing we're just not very familiar with, this, the storyline of the Bible often. Um, so I'm going to provide a little bit of context before we jump into Judges today. Um, <clears throat> God creates the whole earth, right? He creates everything. He creates this beautiful garden. He places Adam and Eve in this garden, and very quickly things go wrong, right? Adam and Eve disobey God. And from that moment on, the Bible becomes a story of how, how is the world going to be restored to God? How is humanity, humanity going to be restored to God? How is humanity going to be reconciled to one another, right? And God eventually decides that it's going to be through Abraham and his family that he is going to redeem the whole, the whole earth, okay? This family eventually becomes known as Israel. They end up enslaved in Egypt for several hundred years and eventually come out of slavery into Egypt, and they enter into a land that God promised to them, this, this geographic area called Canaan. Um, and so the Israelites are now in the promised land, Okay? And it's through this people that God's going to reconcile everything back to himself. Okay? Um, but they're in this land, but in the land, they're also sharing it with a bunch of different foreign people groups, a bunch of different nations. Okay? And so uh, <clears throat> what we'll find in the book of Judges is this pattern that happens over and over and over again. And it honestly when you read the book, it's, it's, a, it's not just a cycle, but it's a spiral, and it gets worse and worse and worse and worse. Um, and the, the pattern is this. Israel uh, becomes apathetic towards God. I knew you were going to ask me this question. 
Thank you. Apathetic means indifferent. Uh, means they don't care. They don't care about God anymore, okay? The Israelites don't care about God. They're worshiping, they're worshiping other gods uh, and their idols, okay? And because of this, um, God hands them over to be oppressed by one of these other people groups, okay? And then once the oppression becomes so bad that they can't take it anymore, they cry out to God. The Israelites pray to God. They cry out to him. And God raises up a rescuer, raises up a deliverer, a judge, right? That's where the book name comes from, judge, okay? Judges. God rescues the Israelites through this individual. But then with a little bit more time, the Israelites become apathetic towards God again. And it, it happens again and again and again and again, okay? Um, <clears throat> Mike, in his sermon last week, honestly asked an amazing question that, I, that for me helps make this Old Testament story from thousands of years ago really hit home for me right now. He asked the question, have you ever been to church or to a Christian conference, had this really amazing experience with God? Maybe you swore off a particular sin and then you return home, and after some time, you fall back into it. Or, and maybe even worse than it was before, kind of thing. I think we all know what that feels like. I think we can relate to that. That's what's happening here with the Israelites, okay? So this story is not just a story for them 2,000 years ago, but it's a story for us right now, okay? I'm going to say a prayer for us, and uh, then we're going we're gonna, to we're gonna jump in. Jesus... <clears throat> You tell us that your scripture is, is God-breathed, that um, it is for our benefit. Um, would this morning be beneficial to us? Speak to us. Would our hearts be opened? Would our ears be opened? Um, yeah, we love you, God. We pray this in your name. Amen. So today, we're going to look at uh, Gideon. So a, a person... I think many of us are familiar with, um, and today we're honestly we're we're just going to do kind of like a character study on Gideon. Um, his story in Judges spans three chapters. Okay, we will do a lot of summarizing. We're not going to read three whole chapters uh, this morning, but here's what I want on your notes sheet in your bulletin. Um, if you'll find in your bulletin, it's completely blank. Now, today, that is not because I got my notes late to Abby. Um, I did this on purpose this time. Um, what I want you to do on your notes sheet, on your blank note sheet, is to create a T-chart, okay? A vertical line down the middle, and then a little line at the top. On the left, I want you to write Gideon, and on the right, I want you to write God. Um, and so as we read and as, as we're, we're discussing this morning, I just want you to jot down things on either side, things that you see um, God or Gideon do or say, things that reflect who they are, okay? What are they like? And I just want you to just make little notes as we're going along um, because we're going to be kind of comparing and contrasting the two. Does that make sense? A little T-chart there? All right. <clears throat> So, <clears throat> Judges 6, verses 1, here we go. 
The people of Israel did what, did what was evil in the sight of the Lord, and the Lord gave them into the hand of Midian seven years. So here we go. The cycle begins. Okay? The Israelites are doing what's evil in the sight of the Lord, and so the Lord hands them over to the Midianites. Okay? And the next several verses describe the Midianites as locusts. They literally eat all of Israel's food, and they steal all their livestock, and they're just terrorizing the Israelites, okay? Um, verse 6, And Israel was brought very low because of Midian, and the people of Israel cried out for help to the Lord, okay? It gets so bad for them that after seven years, they finally cry out to the Lord, okay? Um, now, I think this is something we understand. As humans, there's something almost innate to us that when, when we experience real desperation, we almost have this, there's something that just compels us to cry out to the Lord, okay? Um, but the ironic thing is that when life is good and we feel like everything is in our control, we completely ignore him. It's really fascinating. Um, but when, when it really gets hard, we, we cry out to him. Um, a real current example, um, any of you who are football fans or follow the NFL um, know this happened. Nice. That's okay. That's all right. <laughs> That's okay. We'll keep going. Um, this winter... Um, you're probably familiar with what happened to a Buffalo Bills football player, DeMar Hamlin. In the middle of a game, uh, he goes into cardiac arrest, okay? His heart stops beating in the middle of the game on the field. Doctors, yep, doctors and medics rush onto the field and perform CPR on him for almost 20 minutes. Um, I was watching the game live. It was honestly horrifying to watch happen. Um, players were crying, uh, they were huddled together. Um, he was eventually taken to the hospital in an ambulance, and nobody knew what was happening, okay? But the most fascinating thing to watch was, like, took place. All of these players and coaches, like, were kneeling together, and they were praying. Um, commentators were saying things like, our thoughts and our prayers are with Damar and his family. Now, if you didn't know anything about the NFL, and you were to just drop in in this week period of time when he was in the hospital, um, you would have said, wow, the NFL is an incredibly religious organization. The way, the way they talk, the way they, the way they say things, they clearly believe in a higher power. They clearly, you know, if you're a football fan, you must believe that prayer works, right? Now, we know that that's not what you hear most of the time, right, when it comes to football, but when things get really, really scary and intense and out of control, we as humans, there's something about us where we go, God, I really hope you're real right now. I really hope that you can show up. Um, the plus side of this is that God really uses these moments to draw people to himself. But the flip side of that is why, I, I can't shake the question of like, why is it as humans, we require something so tragic to get our attention. Why, why, why does it require moments like this for us to finally acknowledge God's very existence, right? Um, 
But Israel has come to that place. Israel's in that moment, okay? They've come to the end of themselves, and so they, they cry out to God. All right, so here's uh, where Gideon enters the story. Uh, he is making food in a wine press. Essentially what this means is he's hiding. He's making food in secret so that the Midianites don't steal his lunch, okay? And uh, the angel of the Lord appears to Gideon, and here's what happens, verse 12. The angel of the Lord appeared to him and said to him, the Lord is with you, O mighty man of valor. And Gideon said to him, please, sir, if the Lord is with us, why then has all of this happened to us? Okay. And the Lord turned to him and said, go in this might of yours and save Israel from the hand of Midian. Do not I send you. And he said to him, please, Lord, how can I save Israel? Behold, my clan is the weakest in Manasseh, and I'm the least in my father's house. And the Lord said to him, but I will be with you, and you shall strike the Midianites as one man. And he said to him, If now I have found favor in your eyes, then show me a sign that is you who speak with me. Okay? <clears throat> the people have cried out to God, and here we go. God has responded. And he shows up to, Mid uh, to Gideon. And uh, Gideon, uh, the angel of the Lord calls Gideon mighty man of valor. Okay? But what's he doing? He's making lunch in secret, right? He's hiding, okay? Um, also, did you notice what Gideon says about himself? He goes, I come from a weak family. Like, we're the smallest in the area, and then of that, I'm the smallest, right? I don't think this is a, like, false humility thing. I think he's genuinely going, no, no, I'm not the guy. Like, um, <clears throat> but the angel of the Lord says, I will be with you. That's all you need. The Lord says, I will be with you. That's it. <clears throat> and Gideon responds with, okay, but I need a sign. Will you give me a sign? And so <clears throat> we'll do a decent bit of summarizing here. But Gideon uh, brings the angel of the Lord an offering, makes this meal for him, sets it on this rock, and then God just engulfs it in flames, and the angel of the Lord disappears. And so for Gideon, he's like, all right, that'll work. That, like, that's good enough for me. And uh, so Gideon believes, okay, all right, I'm the guy you're going to use to rescue us from the Midianites. Um, so then God asks Gideon, here's what I want you to do now. I want you to go to your town, and I want you to tear down all of the idols, all of the statues that you've been using to worship Baal, this foreign god. I want you to go tear it down. Verse 27. Uh, verse 27. So Gideon took 10 of his servants and did as the Lord had told him. But because he was too afraid of his family and the men of the town to do it by day, he did it by night. Okay? Um, <laughs> he's not even afraid of the Midianites here. He's afraid of his own family and his own people, his own countrymen, right? He does it. He tears it down. But... I don't know, Gideon's not shaping up to look too hot right now, right? You know, here we go, another example of Gideon demonstrating real fear. He doesn't do this by day, he does it by night, okay? Um, but uh, before, before we get too critical of Gideon, remember, this is a story for us. Um, if we're being very honest, 
There are many moments where we are afraid of our family and our friends, especially when we feel like God is asking us to live a particular way and we're afraid that we might be perceived as too spiritual, um, too much a Jesus freak, you know. We know what that's like, and so we do it by night (laughs) instead of by day, you know. Um, So let's maybe be a little gracious to Gideon. So the Midianites and the Malachites, they're now coming to wage war, right? They're coming to end Israel. They want to they they take this thing over. And so this is where the story of the fleece comes in. Real quick show of hands, how familiar are you with the story of the fleece, Gideon and the fleece? So Gideon goes, okay, all right, God, I need another sign. Um, I'm going to lay out this fleece blanket. And so in the morning... I want the fleece to be wet from the dew, but the ground to be dry. God says, okay, and so then it happens, all right? Sign, done, check. Gideon goes, okay, wait, 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 hold on, one more, one more. And he goes, all right, now I want the ground to be wet from dew, but the fleece to be dry. And God says, okay, and then it happens, okay? Now, sometimes... I've, I've, heard, I've heard people use this passage almost as a defense that we should ask God for signs and for affirmation. But in the context of who Gideon is, I'm not quite sure that's what's happening here, right? Um, I'm not sure that this story is prescriptive. And what I mean by that is I'm not sure that this story exists to show us a model of what it looks like, of how we should engage with God. Right? God has already said to Gideon, I will deliver the, you from the Midianites. I'm going to use you. This will happen. So why does he need the sign? If God has said it, why does he need the sign? Well, we're fickle. You know, we're, we're um, quick to forget. We're constantly questioning and we're constantly doubting. And I honestly think the story exists to show God's incredible patience and gracious, like graciousness towards us in the midst of our limited understanding, right? Him saying, I will do this, that should be enough, right? But it's not for us many times. And how often, you know, God has said, I love you, right? But how often do we walk around going, God, do you really love me? You know, will you please show me that you love me? God has said, I will provide for you every day. But how often do we live in anxiety and fear that we won't have enough for the future, right? He has said it, and that should be enough. But our broken humanity prevents us from actually just trusting that very often. And here we see this example of God being so patient and so gracious, right? So the war is coming. And Gideon is getting his army ready for battle. And uh, then the Lord says this, chapter 7, verse 2. The Lord said to Gideon, The people with you are too many for me to give the Midianites into their hand, lest Israel boast over me, saying, My own hand has saved me. So the Lord essentially says to Gideon, Your army is too big. It's too big, and here's why it's too big. Because when you win, you're going to claim the victory instead of me, okay? 
And so what God does is he takes Gideon's army of about 32,000 men, and he says, all right, ask all of the soldiers who's afraid, and if they say, I'm afraid, send them home. And this army of 32,000 gets chopped down to 10,000, okay? And then God goes, nah, that's still too many. And so he chops it down from 10,000 to 300, and he does it just based upon how they drink water. Um, But here's what we're looking at now. 300 versus 120,000, okay? It's a big difference, it's a very, very big difference, okay? But God, he's, he does not want them to mistake this victory as something that they have accomplished. He wants the credit here. He's like, it's gonna be me that gets the credit for this one. Make no mistake, okay? So tonight's the night. The war's gonna happen. And God says to Gideon, hey, if you're still afraid, if you're still afraid, I want you to go down to the Midianite camp in the middle of the night, and I want you to overhear a conversation. And Gideon's like, yeah, I'm still afraid. And so he sneaks down to the Midianite camp, and he overhears this conversation between two soldiers. God has given these Midianites a vision, okay? And in this vision, he tells them, Midianites, you will lose by the hand of Gideon, okay? It's just going to happen that way. You will lose, So Gideon hears this, he goes back to his camp, and he says, all right, I trust that this is how this is going to go. Um, And this is what he says to the people, uh, to his 300 soldiers, chapter 7, verse 18. When I come to the outskirts of the camp, do as I do. When I blow the trumpet, I and all who are with me then blow the trumpets also on every side of all the camp and shout for the Lord and for Gideon. <clears throat> do as I do, blow the trumpets and then shout for the Lord and for Gideon. For the Lord I get. But where does and for Gideon come from? Especially when God's been very explicit about he's the one who's going to receive the credit for this victory. Okay? Um, nonetheless, uh, the battle takes place and the Israelites win, okay? They rout them. It's a complete disaster for the Midianites and they, they win, okay? They have been delivered from them. After this victory has taken place, um, chapter eight, verse 22, the men of Israel said to Gideon, rule over us. You and your son and your grandson also, for you have saved us from the hand of Midian. Gideon said to them, I will not rule over you, and my son will not rule over you. The Lord will rule over you. So the people want Gideon to be their king. And Gideon goes, no, I'm not going to be your king. The Lord will be your king. Okay, great job, Gideon. Like, that's right. The Lord was always meant to be Israel's king, right? Verse 24, and Gideon said to them, let me make a request of you. Every one of you give me the earrings from his spoil, Uh, for they had golden earrings because they were Ishmaelites. I'm going to skip a couple verses. Essentially, he gets a lot of gold. Does it mean when they mean spoil, give me the earrings, 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, so the, the gold that they had taken from the Midianites, he's like, give me a portion of that gold. Yep, that's what that means. Um, so he gets a lot of gold. And Gideon made an ephod of it and put it in his city in Orphra, and all Israel whored after it there, and it became a snare to Gideon and to his family. Um, he's like, I won't be your king, but I got one request. Give me a bunch of gold. And so what he does is he makes this ephod. And what this is, this would have been this beautiful golden garment um, that the high priest would have worn. It would have been uh, beautiful, precious stones would have been laid into it. And like I said, this was a garment designed for the high priest. And what this garment symbolized was the coming together of heaven and earth in one individual, right? A representative that intercedes on behalf of the people in connection to God, right? This like intercessory type position. And that's what this garment represents, okay? That garment was for the high priest, not for Gideon, okay? And so him making this this piece of clothing is an intense act of idolatry. Like, it is putting him in a place that he is not supposed to be, okay? Rather than than saying, uh, we'll worship other gods, he's saying, actually, you can worship me, okay? So this is an intense deal, and it's, you know, and it's a problem for his whole people, for himself, and for his whole family. For the Lord and for Gideon, right? Um, you know, that statement about the Lord will rule over you is kind of looking a little doubtful now at this point. Another uh, thing, he names one of his sons Abimelech, which means my dad is the king. He names his own son, my dad is the king. Like, okay, for the Lord and for Gideon. All right, so let's look at our T-chart. <coughs> so <coughs> let's, uh, let's fill this out a little bit if you haven't already. Gideon is small. He comes from a weak family, right? <coughs> Gideon continuously shows fear, He's constantly afraid. Um, He's constantly needing proof that God is going to do what he says. He's constantly doubting God. Uh, And this big one that we just saw here is he steals God's glory for himself, right? God wanted the glory for this victory, right? For the Lord and for Gideon. And then he says, yeah, all right, you can worship me. That's fine. Steals God. God's glory for himself. But I will say this. It's unfair for us to only pull out critical, you know, negative attributes of Gideon. There are some things that he has going for him. Gideon is constantly in communication with God. He's constantly talking to God. And that is a thing that God delights. Even from broken, sinful humans, he really, really wants us to come to him, okay? Um, And there are moments where he obeys, right? He does take his 300 men into war, right? He does tear down the idols, right? But in the midst of lots of fear, lots of doubt, lots of skepticism, he does, okay? Um, Let's look at some of the things 
that, that we notice about God. God is incredibly powerful, right? Throughout this whole story, he's using these really supernatural things to intervene on behalf of Gideon and the Israelites, right? We, you know, he devours the offering with the flames, the situation with the fleece, the Midianites' vision and dream, um, and then the war itself, 300 versus 120,000. That shouldn't be possible, right? But it is. Um, God uses Gideon for his purposes despite all of Gideon's flaws, right? God still uses this man to accomplish what he wants accomplished. Um, He's patient with Gideon. He's patient with him in the midst of his doubts and fears, we don't see in this story this major rebuke on Gideon. Like God doesn't go, how dare you show fear and doubt again, you know? We just see lots of patience. Um, and we just see this, this um, attribute of graciousness, grace towards Israel. The fact that the cycle and the pattern has happened again, but he still rescues them. And God is very well aware that the pattern's going to continue, you know, that this isn't the end of it and that it will happen again and again and again. And so he's gracious, right? The Israelites don't deserve this, but God loves them and he wants to, wants to um, rescue them. So <clears throat> we've got our T-chart. Um, and so practically today there are two questions I want us to reflect on. Okay. The first one being is, where do you relate to Gideon? What about Gideon do you like, yeah, that's me. That's, that, that, one, that one hits home. Um, do you only cry out to God when life gets really hard? And when life's fine, you kind of just ignore him? Um, is it fear of people? Is it fear of what people might say about you or think about you? Um, is it fear of death? You know, <clears throat> is it doubt and questioning that what God has actually said is true? You know, do you constantly find yourself questioning the things that God has said? <clears throat> um, is it wanting to steal God's glory for yourself? Now, this one's a little harder for us to recognize, um, but simply put, it's, it's wanting to take credit for what belongs to God. So let's, let's think of maybe a couple examples here. Maybe there is a work situation that just seems absolutely impossible. And there seems to be no way through it or no way out of it. But then somehow it works itself out. And you find yourself saying, you know what? I just figured it out. I'm, I'm an awesome employee and I can get things done. Right? Maybe, maybe God helped in that situation, you know? Maybe there's a relationship that you've been praying about and crying to God about for a long time, and it seems irreconcilable, but somehow it comes together, and it, things are okay. Do you say, you know what? We just figured it out. I've got awesome conflict resolution, resolution skills, and, and uh, you know, we're good. Maybe... God helped mend that relationship, right? Maybe he deserves some credit there. Um, A personal example in my life, uh, several years ago, I think 2019, um, 
our Young Life area was in a bit of a financial pickle, okay? Um, and honestly, it, and it was, yeah, we were looking at a $30,000 shortfall for our budget, and it was, it was one of those situations where it's like, if we don't figure this out, I'm out of a job kind of situation, okay? And so we, we host a Young Life banquet, and we invite a bunch of people, and people come. And uh, that night, we raised almost to the dollar $30,000, okay? Uh, which, that's not how Young Life banquets typically go, <laughs> okay? <laughs> and so when I'm talking to my friends and, my, and other staff people the next day, I'm like, guys, we raised $30,000. Like, I get to keep my job. And uh, <clears throat> uh, <clears throat> people start asking me, like, man, that's awesome. What did you do? Like, what's the secret? Like, you're doing something, you're doing something, right? Those comments felt so good. And I could feel myself almost immediately when I go, yeah, I am pretty awesome. Like, uh, $30,000, I can come help you with your banquet. Like, uh, <laughs> but the, the reality is I did nothing different than any of the other banquets where I raised $4,000. Like, like, genuinely, God provided in a way that I can't explain. And he's the one that deserves the credit, right? But I want so quickly to steal that from myself and to prove that I'm good at something, right? Um, I hope that helps bring a little bit more clarity to the where do we steal glory for ourselves when it really belongs to God, right? Um, <clears throat> so the first question, where do you relate? <coughs> Excuse me. Where do you relate to Gideon? And the second question is, uh, what do you need to remember about who God is, right? So much of the pattern for the Israelites in this situation is they forget. They forget. And that's a major pattern in the whole Old Testament is this forget, we forget, we forget, Right? Um, what do you need to remember about who God is? You know, that he loves you, that he is unbelievably powerful, he's in control, that his son is our rescuer, no one else, not even yourself is your rescuer, that Jesus alone is your rescuer. Um, do you need to remember that he's gracious and wants to use you for his purposes despite all of our mess? Um, and so the reality is that I think what we see in this story here is God meets us in the midst of our mess, in the midst of our brokenness. And then he proves himself to be so much bigger than it. Like he is actually not hindered by it at all. Um, you know, we've called this miniseries Messy Redemption. And Gideon's a mess, right? You know, he has some good things going for him but he's a mixed bag at the end of the day, right? So are you and I. We're a mess. We've got a lot of, of good stuff going for us, but a lot of things that aren't so good, right? Um, <clears throat> and so all of Judges, and Gideon's story in particular, points to this question, who's going to be our rescuer? Gideon was a failed rescuer, you know? Provided some momentary rescuing, but Israel was going to need is going to need rescued again. You know, um, 
who is going to deliver us from evil and the consequences of sin, right? Um, I want to I wanna show a clip. So <clears throat> at the beginning of this morning, I, w- I shared about DeMar Hamlin, the Buffalo Bills football player who went into cardiac arrest on the field. Um, well, later that evening... Uh, there's an interview that takes place with Lisa Salters. She's a sideline reporter, and she is just asked the question, what was it like to be on the field when this happened? Okay, what was it like to be on the field when all of this took place? Okay, um, and so this is what she says. How you would describe what this last hour and a half has been like? It's hard uh, because, like you guys have said, this is a, this is a human being, and... All you can really think about is, you know, I hope, I hope that guy is okay. We, we've seen players go down with head injuries before, and uh, as horrible as that may sound, we've grown accustomed to it, seeing guys take hard hits, uh, see them stay down for a little while, get back up, give the thumbs up. And, mm-hmm. and that's all we were all hoping for was that, that DeMar Hamlin was going to get up and that he was going to get on in that ambulance, he was going to give us a thumbs up, and we were all going to know that he was okay, and, and, and when that didn't happen, I think this entire stadium was just devastated. I mean, I mean, right now, all I can really think about is is that player, his teammates, just seeing the agony on their faces, the concern on their faces. They're scared for him right now, and they should be. Uh, we all should be. Uh, but to see them hugging each other, uh, down on their knees, praying for him, his coach, the other team, their head coach, those players, uh, just to see how much unity and and just unified concern that they all had for this young man. <clears throat> Everyone wanted him to get up, but when that didn't happen, right? Um, when that didn't happen, it was, yeah, I mean... It, uh, it was it was really terrifying to watch, like, take place. And when that didn't happen, he didn't get up. Um, death is the thing that brings all of us to our knees. And in this moment, all of a sudden, no one cared about football. No one cared about whether or not this game was going to continue. Um, all of a sudden... The only thing people were concerned about was whether or not we can conquer death. Is that we have influence over this, right? <clears throat> Imagine that this is uh, what the disciples were feeling as they watched Jesus breathe his last breath on the cross. They go, this isn't how this was supposed to go. Like, no, 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 keep, keep breathing, get off the cross, like, get down, get up. <clears throat> their teacher, their master, their friend, as they laid him in a tomb and they sealed it shut, right? <clears throat> but Jesus did get up, right? He did get up and... Uh, he conquered death so that you and I would have hope that we too will join him in the resurrection. And the things that we are most afraid of, 
we can face with confidence because we have a God who is bigger than anything and everything we are afraid of, okay? Jesus meets us in our brokenness, and he is so much bigger than it, okay? Uh, Worship team, you guys can can come on up. So this book is pointing to who's going to be our rescuer, right? Jesus is our rescuer. We know how the book ends. We're, we've read it, right? We know how the book ends. It points to Jesus. He's the one who rescues us. Yeah, you guys are good. And so I just want to read um, one verse um, from 1 Corinthians and uh, pray to, to close us. 1 Corinthians 15, 55 through 57 says, O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus, we confess to you the spaces in our life where we constantly doubt what you say to us. We are afraid. We're afraid of people. We're afraid of the opinions of others. And at the end of the day, we are afraid of death. And Jesus, we're so grateful that you are gracious and patient with us, that you you genuinely understand that fear. And it is amazing that we worship a God who um, is bigger than bigger than death Um, that in the face of it you did not back away um, but you entered it for our sake Um, gotta pray for all of us today that we would leave here with a bigger sense of your goodness and your patience and your grace towards us would you help us to walk um, in that Thank you for for loving us. Thank you for being kind to us. We pray this all in your name. Amen.